0: I want to start by having you hear again the words of Psalm 100, the appointed psalm for this Sunday. And in scripture, it is described as a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout to the Lord for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Do you remember falling in love? Do you remember that feeling as you courted your spouse for months and months? Those times, the the way you felt the butterflies in your stomach, do you remember how that felt, the way you, you talked to anyone who would listen about them? And probably a few people who didn't listen, and a number of people who really didn't want to hear it and started trying to walk away, but you, you kept on talking regardless. You wanted to tell them about the way they smelled, the way they talked, the way they looked, the way they walked, the, the things you found beautiful and compelling about them, the jokes they said. You wanted everyone to know what you loved about that person. It was probably evident to those around you, far sooner than it was to you, how you felt, that they probably realized really quickly, you either needed to marry this person, or you needed to get some professional help for your obsession, but something had to be done. But it's only natural to talk about someone you're falling in love with that way, about your spouse, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, that way, because... You talk about what you love. As it says in scripture, from out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. We talk about what we love. Now, I know that not everyone in here is married or in a relationship, but that's just the most obvious example. But there are countless others. One simple, clear example is in sports. I, I'm sure you have those friends, the, the kind of people you know who incessantly talk about their favorite team. Someone like a Cubs fan, as I had to experience last year. But they're the kind of people who will talk about the moves happening in the offseason, about the trade rumors. They'll talk about last week's game and, and tomorrow's game. They'll, in, in case you missed last night, last night's game, they'll give you the play-by-play rundown, whether or not you want to hear it. And they're the people who are are wearing the hat, the jacket, the hoodie, over the jersey, with the socks on the bottom, and they have the decal on the back of their car. They want you to know that this is their team. And there's nothing wrong with having a favorite team, with having a team that that you feel like you're part of that fan base's community, that you love. See, we, we talk about what we love most. I experienced that with some friends last year as the Cubs won the World Series. Somehow every conversation came back to the Cubs, no matter what you were talking about. And sometimes you're sitting there going, wait, how are we talking about the Cubs again? It was on every Facebook post, every conversation, regardless of what it was. But it's because they they wanted to celebrate and talk about the success of the team they loved. When I think about this, the fact that we talk about what we love, I have an honest question for myself and, and for you. If we were to ask people what we talk about most, what would it reveal about what we love? About what we're most focused on? What would it say about what's most important in our lives if, if what we talk about is, is what overflows out of our hearts? You now I read today a psalm, and, and remember that the psalms are the prayer book of the Bible, So they they celebrate and they talk about, with a rawness, the the joy and praise, but also the sorrows and laments of life. They consistently talk about what's going on. But as I've been reading through the Psalms the past week, couple weeks, you start to realize something, regardless of where they find themselves, the psalmists are talking about God. How long, O Lord, before you come and deliver me? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Come into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. God is consistently on the lips of the psalmist, regardless of where they find themselves. And Psalm 100 is no different. See, I can't help but read this psalm of of grateful praise, a little bit of, of joy, a little bit of pep in my step. You know, sing a joyful noise, the Lord. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. But why are we giving thanks? Why are we grateful? Verse 3 gives us a hint. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist is giving thanks to God because God has called this people, this tribe, this church, to be his treasured possession. The psalmist isn't thanking God for being created, at least not here. That, that happens in other psalms. But here, the psalmist is responding in praise because the God of the universe, the mighty king, has called this people to be his own chosen, treasured possession. They belong to him. He acted to deliver them. He came and sought them out. The psalmist cannot help but respond in praise as he thinks about what God has done to claim them as his own, as his own treasured possession by his strength. See, as Christians, when people ask, are you a Christian, we shouldn't respond in arrogance and pride, of course I'm a Christian. Rather, we should have this sense of awe and humility and and amazement. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Can you believe it? Me, someone as broken, as messed up, as flawed as I am. And yet God has claimed you and me, his church, as his treasured possession. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. I, I can't earn it. It's not because of how good or wonderful or powerful I am, but because of God's great love that he has claimed you and me to be his people. How can we do anything but respond in praise and thanksgiving as we think of God's faithfulness, as we think of his mercy that, that is steadfast and endures, that claims not only the people of Israel, but you and I as his people? You see, this psalm is really all about recognizing God as the one true king, as the Lord of the universe, the creator of all, the one who is in charge, who is not just any king, but our king, our personal king, our God, who has claimed us. You see, the Psalm. this psalm is the crescendo, of a number of psalms remembering what God has done, how he has acted for Israel in the past, how he has claimed them, how he has been merciful and gracious. And after remembering and praising God for all these things, they can't help but respond in joy and in song in this praise of Psalm 100. It just bursts forth from their soul, wells up out of their heart into praise and thanksgiving. They cannot help but praise their God. See, when you think of kings and generals, especially in olden times, coming back after a, a victory for their people, uh, conquering the enemies, defeating and saving the people, they would return to shouts of praise and joy and thanksgiving. The city would be filled with streets with cheers. And that's kind of the, the place of this psalm. The king is coming back to his people, victorious, having saved us and delivered us from our enemies. And so we respond in praise to our God as the people of Israel remember and as we come into worship and remember our God, it's natural to, to respond in praise and joy and in thanksgiving, to shout these songs as we remember our God who delivers us. As, we, as I think about that, I, I can't, it starts to feel more and more natural to respond in praise, to sing those songs and, and to sing songs like this is a feast of victory of our King. And this is his victory feast that we come here to celebrate as we realize that despite how broken and messy and unworthy and full of faults I am, God has claimed me and redeemed me. He's claimed you and redeemed you as his child, brought you into his kingdom. The more and more I think about that, the more it seems natural to respond in praise. And this might surprise you, but as a pastor, I read a lot of books. I read a lot of books about Just what is the gospel? About simple ways of expressing the gospel truths, and the reason I do that is because I love to just figure out new ways to share the gospel message. But also because I need to hear it, and I want to hear it in new ways and see what what it means for my life. On a regular basis, I listen to other pastors preach, and yeah, it's nice to get other ideas for sermons or, or ways to talk about the gospel. But more than anything, I just sit in awe and rejoice as I hear about. What God has done for me, as I hear the gospel proclaimed to me, to you, how, how can I do anything but respond in joy and thanksgiving? Out of the overflow of my heart, praise wells up and wants to respond and praise God. See, I want to see this message. I want to hear it. I want to know it. I want to be shaped and formed by it so that I live a life of praise and thanksgiving in response to my God and what he has done for me. See, the more and more I come to see this truth of God's grace and God's mercy, of the fact that he personally comes and claims each and every one of us in baptism, makes me want to respond in praise. I want to celebrate and talk about those things that I love. See, that's what you do. When you love something, you, you praise it, you celebrate it, you, you write rave reviews about it, you want to tell everyone else about this thing you've discovered. And that's that's sometimes the, the trap. You see, we praise and celebrate these good things that are gifts to us. And sometimes it's easy to make these, these good gifts into ultimate things that we turn into idols. We turn into things that we worship and celebrate. Now, let me be clear. I think it's a good thing to praise and celebrate your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, girlfriend. In fact, I challenge you to go home today and tell that person, what you found appealing about them at the beginning, why you love them, to celebrate them, to praise them for the things that you love and you want to acknowledge. And, and if you're not in a relationship, then, then find a friend or it's father's name. Maybe tell your father uh, what you admire about them, what you love about them. It's a good thing to talk about those things. And there's no, there's no fault in having a favorite team that you love and celebrate. It is important to feel like you're part of a community, to have something you cheer for, that you, you get alongside But when you make a spouse or a team into something ultimate, then there's something wrong with that. Because God alone deserves our ultimate praise and worship. See, those good things, the spouse, team, whatever else it might be, they're not meant to replace God. But when we elevate them to that high level, sometimes we forget about God and, and make those the ultimate things in our life. And we look for fulfillment in our team or in our spouse or in whatever else it might be. But the truth is that God alone deserves our deepest love and praise, our worship. That belongs to him alone. See, is why we come to worship on a regular basis. Because here in worship, our loves are set back into the right order, back into the right place. We hear of God's deliverance. We hear his story that tells us what God has done, his, his mighty acts of saving, his deeds that have delivered us. And so we respond in praise and thanksgiving, singing songs and shouts of joy for what God has done for us. See, God is faithful and he will always be faithful. And so his praise should ever be on our lips, ever flowing out of our mouths. For the, we talk about what we love, for out of what is in the heart, what overflows out of the heart is what the mouth speaks, so we talk most about what we love most. So we should be speaking the gospel. It should flow through our lives. It should be evident in our words and in our actions, as it says in Colossians, it should be the seasoning salt of every conversation we have with those around us. But practically, what does this mean? it doesn 't mean that you need to name drop Jesus in every conversation. And it doesn't mean that in every interaction with others, you need to find some contrived way to bring God into the conversation. But what it means is that if you love God and know God, and you know his love, you'll want to share that with those around you. You'll want to speak about that that grace and that mercy you've experienced. You want to share that with people who who don't yet know. And so you'll start to act in ways that that reflect the fruits of the Spirit, that kindness, that self-control that patience, that goodness, that mercy. You'll start to live out ways that, that reflect what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll be that, that salt of the earth. People will hear it in your conversations, but they'll also see it by your actions. And when people notice, and they will notice because it's very counterculture to how our, our community lives and works, and they ask you why. For example, if they ask you why you're nice to somebody who insults you, or is cruel to you. Your response shouldn't just be, well, I'm being nice, or I try to be a good person. Rather, I do this because I know that while I was God's enemy, and and certainly not a friend of God, but I was a sinner and outside of his kingdom, as it said in Romans 5 from today's lesson, God sent his son to die for me. He showed me his love, even while I was opposed to him. And so knowing God's love, and knowing how much he loves others, I want to share that love. I want to follow my master. I'm his disciple. I follow what he does, his example. And so I seek to show kindness to others because it models what God has modeled for me in Christ. Or when people ask you why you're in worship every Sunday, don't say, well, it's just what I do. Well, no, I come here because I want to hear the story of what God has done for me. I want to be refreshed and receive his grace and his mercy which is poured out every day, every Sunday in worship to me. I want to respond in praise and thanksgiving to glorify and tell that story of what God has done. See, I want his praise to be ever on my lips. I want it to overflow out of my heart to sing God's praises in all that I do. See, that's why we're here. But it's also why we're sent back out to reflect this truth of God's grace in the world, to have his praise ever on our lips, to his gospel, to seize in every one of our conversations. I want to close today by inviting you to sing the doxology with me. I'll, I'll let you guys read the sermon points to remember on your own. But if you guys would stand as we sing this praise, yeah, the words will be on the screen. And I'll lead and we'll sing it acapella. I, I trust you guys are good and can handle it. So you can follow my cue. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures, hear me low. Praise him, above.